welcome to season nine of For What It's Worth. I'm a horrible person. You'd leave stuff laying around? We're still here and still exploring and introducing the furry fandom. No, no, you can't do that because I seriously think of Five Nights at Fred Meyer every time someone says that. Well, we have a choice here. Yeah, tell them what our choice is. What are the choices? Limbago in Idaho. What the hell? And now, your hosts for season nine, Rue and Tugs. There are certain women I just want to bitch slap. <laughs> So in summary, people are awful. <laughs> it's it's kind of true. And it's time. The season is here. I don't know how I'm doing this. <laughs> it's season nine, up for what it's worth. Yay! Nine, nine I'm years. so excited. Are you excited? I'm excited. Yay! I, I never I thought we would ever get to, to this point. I never thought that we'd get to this point. What is going on, Tugs? I thought we were going to like stop like two seasons ago. Uh, well, you won't let me quit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you are mine go. forever. <laughs> Hashtag free Tugs. Yeah. Uh, you know what? You're going to start a movement because it, did you see on Twitter what is currently trending? The word I testicles. That is what? what is trending right now on I don't buy that because like it customizes your your stuff. My friend, yes. my friend, that is what is training. I mean trending in Canada is testicles. I why would it show me? I live in the US. I'm not looking at the Canadian Twitter trend. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> uh people have been talking about it. They're like, why is it the the reason why is because somebody came up with this thing. Name a movie, but you have to um change one of the words out with testicles it's, like it's for example never ending testicles i'm i like that <laughs> or instead of like kill bill you could say kill testicles no that's terrible or in, uh the devil wears testicles can Why? you think of one yeah shut the testicles up <laughs> All right, go ahead. Oh my god. No, I was trying to figure out I look I was looking how to switch trends. I didn't see it, but I believe you. Uh no, I was gonna ask what you've been up to other than looking at testicles. Well, let's see. I have been playing more video games, but um the one thing that I'm gonna get into, which I know I know you're gonna sigh tugs, but I have a quest two coming to me tomorrow. So I'm pretty excited about that because I've been kind of a little bit of a shut in and I'm looking at, you know, getting into other hobbies and doing. You've really got to get out of the Facebook ecosystem. You really got to get out of it. I I have never really been. I don't know. I I don't look at my Facebook account that often. So, yeah, I know it requires a great tech Facebook. Yeah, it's great tech. Yeah, it was actually you that got me into this. And now you're telling me no. What I happened? sold mine. I got rid of my quest. Why? Because I'm not getting a Facebook account. Gotcha. But I heard that you could um, continue to use your original quest to like 2021 20, something something and then they force you. And then invest <laughs> a bunch of money in it. And no, no, I got rid of it. It's actually I sold it like a month ago. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. Well, no. what have you been up to? Uh, enjoying the break. Uh Man, it's so weird. Like, I love that you ask me this every show. And my mind goes, who? Uh, you know, really, I have been working on cooking a lot. 
Um, people were asking me about my arrow guarding since when we had the moms on that was, we were, you know, being nerds. Um, the original garden has been sent off to the great vineyard in the sky and I started a new one and yeah, I guess lettuce only lasts like three months and then it's gone. Like it oh, just, really? it so, yeah. So does it, so is it like a chia garden where it like just gets moldy after a certain period of time? No, no. In, in lettuce's case, it does what's called bolting, where it just shoots straight up and uh, gets ready to produce seed. It's it's a natural plant cycle thing. Um, it just because lettuce just moves on a faster timetable than a lot of plants. Like an apple tree is not going to grow apples forever, right? Like eventually it stops. Same thing, mm-hmm. except much shorter scale. Um, it's also a thing where um, if you if it gets too warm, like if you don't have air conditioning, it'll kill your lettuce. And it'll bolt because that's its reaction. It's like, oh, oh, it's time to get horny. It's warm. Mm. So, yeah. And then it becomes bitter. Then it doesn't taste as good. It does. But I'll tell you, man, picking fresh salads and like having brisket salads. mm, Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Good. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's ask Nuka what he's been up to since he's with us. Nuka, what have you been up to? Tell us a thing you're doing. Two, two testicles, two furious, by the way, Rue, to your earlier yes! question. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said the entire time they're trying to think of the best one I could. So uh, <laughs> uh, in terms of what I've been up to, uh, a lot of data analysis. It was, uh, uh, it's been a crazy couple of weeks. Wow. We're, we're, yeah, but a crazy couple of weeks, basically the uh, most recent survey we did for first science, uh, ran over the month of September. And then normally in a process that usually takes like a month or two, we, we go through the data, we clean it, we analyze it, we write it up. Uh, I did that in a much more condensed period because we had COVID related questions on there and anything related to COVID just gets pushed to the front of the pile because we're all in the social sciences trying to understand it. So uh, yeah, I did what normally takes about a month and a half and I did it in uh, just a few days, put together this, uh, wonderful summary of the data which is why i'm here today yep wow that's that must be a lot of work like you've been probably like i don't know like it was it was a lot of 16 hour days (laughs) yeah yeah definitely i mean i'm super super interested in this we should just i don't know dive right in unless there's anything are we omitting you have on your plate I mean, we can do the cookie. I mean, it has been. You gotta do the cookie. Fine. We can do the cookie after break. We can mix it up. Let's mix it up. I don't like things that are different. (laughs) Oh, that's too bad. (laughs) All right. Well, yeah, let's dive into it. So tell us a little bit about the survey that you just ran. Sure. So, uh, yeah, this was uh, mainly to make up for the fact that uh, at at First Science, the bulk of our data collection comes from conventions. And as uh, some of you may have heard there's this this pandemic thing going around, which has made going to conventions a little tricksy, uh, a little difficult. So unfortunately, Anthicon, which is our, our biggest one every year, our biggest data collection uh, source was out, as was Euroference, which broke my little heart because I went to Euroference last year and absolutely fell in love with it. And then uh, all of our plans to go there fell apart as well. We had plans to go to um, uh, Confuzzled. That one fell apart as well. Uh, so yeah, all of our, all of our conventions, all of our data collection plans kind of fell apart except for uh, furry fiesta, which was early enough in the year that we, uh, managed to dodge that. So instead we decided, let's just do a big online one. And, uh, it, it almost worked out a little bit better this way because, uh, typically at American conventions, we get 
you, know, you might imagine a lot of American participants when you go over to Europe <gasps> and get a lot of European uh, participants from a European survey. But this year we got to, uh, in doing our big online survey, we got a really nice mixed bag of participants. So uh, about 50% came from North America. Uh, I'd say another 10 to 20% came from various parts of Europe. Uh, but we had 11% of our participants came from China, which that's is awesome. awesome. Yeah, that's, that's the largest uh, sample we've had from, from Southeast Asia ever. And uh, it's thanks to a handful of uh, really uh, curious, very um, uh, um, enthusiastic Chinese furries who were fantastic at uh, sort of getting the word out to the, the, the Chinese fandom. So we've got uh, a really nice global look at the furry fandom here in our sample. So uh, I think perhaps more than any other sample we've done, this is the most uh, cosmopolitan global data we have on the furry fandom, which is kind of nice. It, it helps us to to not be narrow or limited in, in our, our sample to just uh, what we do here in North America. It's kind of nice to remember there's a fandom global. So, yeah. Um, so I want to sort of dive into some of the fun facts. Or do you have any questions? Um, how many how many responses did you say you got approximately? Uh, so this one was just under 600 once you've taken out the, the, the bad data. Right. Yeah. Okay. So no, I'm uh, just, I'm yeah. writing down my follow-up questions. You know, you know how you do. Oh yeah. As one does. <laughs> uh, yeah, yep. no, it's by, by no means is it our largest survey, but at the same time, some of our international surveys, we've gotten 2000 people. We leave it, leave it open for a few months. This one was, uh, just over three weeks. So is this uh, the one that we were uh, talking about, like over the summer at some point in the show chat? Yeah, this is one that we were uh, we sort of put it together in a hurry because uh, we were still up in the air about Anthicon and Anthicon got axed. We're like, well, what do we do? We're like, shit, this is COVID uh, thing going on. Let's just throw something together really quick. So this was kind of uh, improvised. None of us had really been expecting to do it, and we just sort of pulled something together at the last minute, which gotcha. is how all good okay. research comes about. <laughs> okay, cool. So yeah, yeah, let's talk about these results then. Right. So, well, actually, yeah, questions or results. Do we need to go over the questions? Uh, I mean, there's like hundreds of questions, so I won't go over all the questions, but we'll just go over the. Gotcha. Uh, even for the results themselves, this is, I think the initial pass at the results is like 170 pages. So, oh, okay. as always, my big caveat for all of this is uh, what you're getting is like me sort of trying to pick out the, the narrow, most interesting stuff, I think, to the furry fandom. But, I mean, the stuff we publish in journals and stuff is. Is often stuff you guys never hear about just because it's stuff that like boring, stodgy psychologists care about, but no one else really cares about. Um, mm. But uh, gotcha. we, we have to get accused of that when we talk about things like here are the most popular fursona species. And people are like, is that really a psychology question? We're like, no, but that's what furries care about. And so that's why I, yeah. I talked about that one. All right, Nuka, let's spill the tea. Let's spill some tea. Okay. Uh, let's see. So these are in absolutely no order because I, I couldn't be arsed to put them in any sort of dramatic or climactic order but uh just sort of running down the list here i highlighted some interesting ones uh for example i was uh, amazed to find that uh, only 10.1 percent of the furry fandom internationally uh, identifies as straight only sorry what was that percentage 10.1 percent what yeah so we've known for a while that the furry fandom is non you know not terribly heterosexual and the numbers have varied between you know 20 and 30 percent but in this sample it was 10.1 percent identify as straight 
hasn't that gone down over over the years? Because every single year you have you've done this particular survey, and I believe that you've asked that particular question. Yeah. Does, does it show a trending of a going down? Yes and no. So the tricky part about this is um, we've asked it in different ways. And that's something we always have to keep in mind. When you, when you use different methodology, when you ask it in different ways, you're gonna it's gonna break up the data in different ways. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the ways we used to do it was with just sort of a traditional Kinsey scale, a zero to six scale, um, you know, ranging from exclusively heterosexual to exclusively homosexual. There are problems with that scale, namely, if you're asexual, where do you fall on that scale? It, you don't. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of uh, difficulties with it. So as of recent, we've tried doing just kind of a label, like which of these labels describes you best, right? Uh, we've included new categories that we didn't include in the past. So we started adding pansexual due to popular demands. Uh, Into so pans. That, pardon me? Into yeah, 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 sexually attracted to, to, to cookware. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've also started offering things like an I don't know category, not just an other category, but an I don't know category. Um, so when you when you break it up like this and you give people lots of options, uh, it turns out, yeah, 10.1% say straight. That's uh, and insane. I, uh, the biggest category, the biggest single category would be uh, lesbian, gay, or homosexual, which is 28.8%. Um, bisexual, 23.4%. Um, pansexual, 16.5%. And uh, one that was really surprising to us, uh, asexual, 10.5%, which is a number much higher than you find in the general population. So... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's important to point that out, too, because we've had asexual people come up to us before and say, you know, uh, oftentimes you don't really talk about us. And that's that's a fair criticism, because oftentimes that number is maybe two or three percent. Um, but looking at this one with 10.5 percent, it's pretty hard to, you know, uh, to, to say, oh, that's that's a small, small group of folks. That's that's a non-trivial chunk of the population there. So. So. Yeah. So wait a minute. Wait a minute. What was the percentage for asexual and what was the percentage of um, straight? I didn't even look at that. There are more asexual people in the fandom than there are straight people in the fandom. <laughs> I didn't wow. even notice that. Oh yeah. my gosh, that just 10, blows my mind. 10, 10.5% versus 10.1%. So. <laughs> I'm so sorry if I no. just have offended somebody by laughing at that. No, no, no. That, no, is, just, that is pretty awesome. No, it's, 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 it's not a laugh of like, oh, isn't that funny? That's a laugh. Like, that's that's remarkable to me. I had never I never made that connection. But that's that's really cool demographically to, to see it pan out that way. Um, and again, part of that always, at least in part, to the fact that we're, we're including different demographics than we perhaps otherwise would before. Um, you know, there are culture differences in the, the frequencies of these numbers. So, yeah, that's really neat to me. So, that's insane. Yeah. 10. I, 5. Go ahead. I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm mulling over 10.5. <laughs> yep. Next fact. Next fact. Okay. So this is just a random one-off fact. Faris had asked us to, to ask this and it was on our to-do list for a while. And I finally managed to sneak it in here. Uh, so I'll ask you guys, but we'll play the guessing game here. Since you guys have in Ooh. the past subjected me to games that make me look dumb, I will return oh. the favor. Oh. <laughs> I would never do that. We, we, do make, that. we make all of our guests yeah. look very smart. Yeah, stop thinking you're special. <laughs> <laughs> so so here's my question to you. We'll see who gets it closer. We'll go Price is Right rules. Who gets it closer uh, without going over? What percentage of furries have kids? 15%. 25%. 3.8%. Oh wow! We 
over by a considerable margin. Well, you know what? We should have we should have thought about that. We should have thought about that because if you thought about the statistic of how many straight people, and I'm not saying that if you're gay you can't have children. I mean, I I know yeah, that I try all the time. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I've been trying for years, and just I don't I can't get children that way. I don't know well, why. <laughs> one of the biggest factors too is the age, right? Remember, most furries are like 18 to 21, so a lot of that's 18. when they're all doing it. <laughs> Typically not all trying for kids, especially not in this economy. That's uh, true. Yeah. We should have thought about it being lower than lower than ten percent at least, but and it is what it is. That's that's interesting. I mean, to be honest with you, if I was to think about all of my friends that I have, I can only think of one furry couple that has the kids. No, no, two two furry couples that have kids. Yeah. Out of all about my the friends. Same. Yeah. So So okay, so just to, to continue rattling on through this. Uh, let's see here. Okay, so different categories here. So we, we've looked at different categories, different subgroups within the fandom. We've got three new ones here. Well, one's not really a new one, but it's a new a new statistic on it. Uh, in the past, we found that uh, about 18 to 25% of furries has a fursuit. Uh, that's typically in our North American samples. Uh, so when you ask globally, when you, when you step back and look globally at the global fandom, what percent of furries has a, a fursuit? Well, it it needs to be all of them because my goodness, you can't be a furry if you don't have a fursuit. Six percent. Uh, I I'm gonna go with ten percent. Ready to have your mind blown? Thirty-five point two percent. Wow. It almost seems like from what we've seen so far, it almost seems like as you move out from North America, fursuiting becomes a bigger part of the furry fandom. Well, I've got to say, I see fursuits um, come out of Asia, and I'm just like, they're so pretty. Oh, I know, right? Yes, they're gorgeous. Like, like if you know how like there's like regional cuisines, like this place is good at this food. I think like for furry, like the the regional fursuit is totally Asia. No, not to dig on anyone who makes them elsewhere. They just have a very striking and specific look when they come out of Asia. I can't remember the term. And I know I'm going to butcher it because I have been just like railed by a friend of mine because I have said it wrong. But I want to say kawaii, but I think it's kawaii. Okay, kawaii means like Hawaii, but kawaii. Yeah. (laughs) So, anyways, I think that they're absolutely adorable as well. So they just do an amazing job over there. A lot of things in um in that culture is is very cute. They want to make it as cute as possible. If you're not if if you're not interested in cute fursuits, then you know maybe that's not the place to go and get a fursuit. So we're interested with that data and looking at whether or not. So is it is it just the case that uh, what we're kept picking up on is just more people with fursuits in general in the fandom than perhaps ten years ago, which is probably that's probably some of it. Um, but also now that we've got this more inclusive international look is it that as well so we want in sort of the future to look at regional differences and see hey is fursuiting a bigger part of these other uh fandoms around the world so uh it's sort of a a truism as you do this research that the more you delve into it the more questions open up it's a good example of that uh speaking of fursuits then what percentage of furries do you think have tried building a fursuit before Ooh, ooh! I'm gonna, I'm gonna say higher. I would have to say that that one's gonna be about thirty-three percent. 
twenty percent. Ten point two percent. Ooh, out. Which is still pretty high. I, I think ten percent of furries tried to build their first suit before. That's pretty. That seems high to me. I would. I was thinking it would be higher because a majority of the people that I've that I've ran into are like, "Oh, I can do that," and then they. They buy all the stuff and then they fail. And then they end up selling. <laughs> then they go and they pay they someone realize. to do it properly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they realize just how insane it is. They realize going to the, the carpet store and buying a roll of carpet and trying to wrap it around a wireframe dummy is a really bad idea. It's just not working. <laughs> yes. But to be fair, D, to be fair, I have seen some people that have created their own fursuits and they are legit. They oh, yeah, no, that's very, very good. So I'm not saying that you can't do that, but it's very rare that there's that success. <laughs> it's like with any ability, typically you have to practice to get really good at it. Uh, okay, so uh, one of the themes of this entire survey, we did a whole section on like generational differences and feeling older, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But this is one of those statistics that uh, as a furry who's now, you know, uncomfortably into my 30s, I can no longer claim to be early 30s. Um, this one made I, I me feel, feel pardon me? I feel you. Yeah. Uh, this one made me feel like an old person. Uh, so what percentage of furries out there uh, call themselves YouTube creators? Uh. The fact that this is a question, I'm going to, oh man, <laughs> I'm stuck. Get off my lawn. Get off 20, my lawn. 25%. 50. So you're both. Both pretty high. I probably set it up a little too much, but 7.3%. 7.3% of furries are YouTube creators, which to me, I, was like, I, I can think of maybe five furry creators off the top of my head on YouTube. So <laughs> I'm wondering, um, did you ask in that particular question, um, maybe like the, the term influencers or I know the influencers don't like to be called influencers, but like because you asked a specific question of YouTube, right? Yeah. We said specifically YouTube creators. Does this term apply to you? I hey, wonder. Specific. That is very specific. Yeah. So that, that, yeah, that one made me feel old. I'm like, oh man. And, and, and it's funny because when I go to conventions, or when I talk to younger furries, our local group has a bunch of younger furries and they're always talking about like, oh, which who's your favorite furry YouTuber? And it was funny to me because again, I'm like, I I can't really think of many. I didn't I didn't realize that was a thing, and it is it is totally a thing. It's an entire subculture of the furry fandom that has just completely passed me by. <laughs> I wonder what the statistic would be if you also included Twitch streamer. Oh yeah, that would probably it'd probably make it go up even more. I imagine. I don't know what the overlap, I guess, is between Twitch streamer and YouTuber. I imagine there's going to be at least some overlap between that. There is, but you can't typically hit both services at once. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, how about uh, if you want more more data, we want to go into species, fursona species. Let's yes, go. let's get some updates. Okay, we got some new data here. So, uh, here's the guess again. What is the most popular species in the furry fandom worldwide, right? Most of our data before has been North America. Worldwide, what is the most popular species, the species everyone wants to be? What was the species for North America? Canine or, oh, go ahead, sorry. It was wolf, wasn't it? Yeah, wolf. I'm not, I'm not telling you because you have to remember, this is, this is your guessing game, so. So let me, let me ask this. Okay. If I said canine, 
Is that uh, be more too broad? Be I more need specific. Yeah. Okay, then I'm going to go with wolf. Yeah, I'm sticking with wolf. Yep. Worldwide, it is wolf. And in fact, some other data that we've gotten from furries around the world, uh, so some furries who have been collecting data just in Southeast Asia, uh, they found that in four different Southeast Asian countries, it was wolf every time. And in our data, 20.7% of furries identify wolf. So, why, so they, they're why still you, winning. Why do you guys think that wolf is so popular? It's one of the original like animals. Like If you look back at Ancestry, I think it's like, you know, there are certain key animals in the animal kingdom, and I think that's one of the oldest ones. Yeah, I would say it has to do with uh, the combination of, of being in our stories, having, you know, dogs being very close to humans. Uh, Folklore. Yeah, it's just it's, it hits all of these different different parts of our culture. Uh, wolves are just there. You know, sp uh, spirituality, right? Wolf spirits and such are have been a part of many different uh, parts of the world, sort of spiritual beliefs. So, um, yeah, it's just resonant. And they also represent wild, like being being wild and stuff like Even that. Even in our language, lone wolves or pack animals, you think of wolf packs. Um, it's just an ever-present part of our, our culture. So I'm not surprised. Uh, so wolves, wolves are kind of a, if, if you know the data pretty well, the wolves are kind of a gimme. So my, my question is, what about the second most popular? This is where I get it's interesting. Worldwide. I'm going to go with fox. I'm going to... Go with husky or or a dog of some sort. Okay. So fox would be the safe bet if you were in North America. In North America, we have traditionally found foxes consistently our second place uh, just under wolves. Not so in our worldwide sample. The uh, number two species worldwide is dragon. They beat out foxes. What? Yep. That's interesting. That is super interesting. Why well, is that belong. number two? I mean, not... do you want foxes to be number two? No, it doesn't need to be number two. I, I, I'm fine with that, but I, it's just interesting to me. There is a stereotypical thing that, uh, but but we won't get into that with dragons. Dragons are known for um, being very very kinky and and into all of the kinks. Yeah. Anyways, we'll keep going with this factual stuff instead of Rue's opinions. I like being <laughs> anal. <laughs> there it is. I was waiting for that. Um, I will say, though, foxes are actually a very, very close third. So dragons are 16%. Foxes are 15.8%. So right within that margin of error. So very, very, very close. Um, hmm. Foxes, so you need to get out there and populate a little <laughs> bit more. Foxes <laughs> represent. <laughs> We're losing the race. <laughs> well, this also, again, gets into really interesting... Um, what happens when you look internationally? Because I know that when we've looked at the data before, uh, you, you do see small regional differences. For example, if you look at the Australian furries, you find more marsupials, right? And this is, it's part of the culture down there, so you see more of them. Uh, so insofar as 10% of our sample comes from China and dragon is a very important part of, of you know, stories and mythology in that culture, that may be the case that because we're, we're slowly introducing more and more Southeast Asian furries into our samples, that may be why we're seeing more dragons represented in these sort of more international surveys. That's, that's true. That's amazing. That's, that's what awesome. I was wondering. So from there it goes, yes, yeah, so it goes wolf, dragon, fox, uh, dog is fourth. Uh, so, so like domestic dog is fourth, uh, followed closely by house cats. So house cats are uh, uh, a distant fifth, sadly. And then from there on, it gets into uh, a bunch of big cats. So tigers and lions are up there. Snow leopards are up there as well. 
Uh, you see deer, deer was surprisingly high. Um, deer was, deer made like the top 10 or top, yeah, top 10. Deer was in the top 10, which surprised me. May wow. I ask you, Nuka, when you, when you did this particular sample, did you separate dragon from angel dragon? Because uh, I know angel dragon became extremely popular. And if you put dragons and angel dragons together, that would, that would definitely boost the number. So we, we used a, I used a trick here because, um, in the past, species data has been a nightmare, and I've eaten so much shit for it because uh, in, in, one, in the one that we still have on the First Science website right now, I went through and I painstakingly tried to organize and categorize the different fursona species. And furries love to point out uh, all the ways I miscategorize things or, oh, that these don't belong in the same group, you idiot. And um, so what I did, instead of having to go through all of that and classify it again, uh, was I went on for affinity and I used, you know, when you go to upload an image and they have a giant list, I used that list because I imagined that they would have the most popular for some of the species. So I used that list and uh, it was a checkbox. It was basically it, check off any of these boxes that apply to your fursona species. And then I had a bunch of open boxes at the bottom if, if none of those applied. So, okay. It makes it a lot easier to analyze this data. Let me tell you. <laughs> no kidding. I'm sure hybrids just kill things. Uh, <laughs> let's, yeah. finish, uh, let's finish this top five. I'm curious. What's number four? Uh, what was this, that was the top five. So it was wolf, dragon, fox, dog, cat. Dog, cat. Oh, good. Cats are at the last, which is what we really need to make sure of. Wait, you're a cat. <laughs> I'm salty, uh, salty about that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I think like, cats are going to win in a different category later on. So. <laughs> and round two, the cats will come back. Yeah, they're coming back. But uh, yeah, so, and then, then it just goes on. And by that point, we start to get into to the 2%, 1%, 1.5%. Yeah, so. Your um, bell curve starts to bell. Yeah, you start to get into, to you know, little little clusters. So if a, a group of rabbits went and did it together, then suddenly there's a big spike in that. So. Ooh, um, ooh, I'm interested in this. What is the lowest? Uh, we can't say that because there's a there's about two or 300 people who picked like a, a unique species. So oh, they're, they're gotcha. all tied for there was one of them. Gotcha. Right. Yep, yep, yep. And also we can't use that as well because um, one of the, the rules or clauses of our data is that we don't post any identifying data. So if you have a unique species, we don't post it because that would people would go, oh, I know who that person is. So uh, we'll never post a species unless there's at least two of them. That I declare to you anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I think we've got time for one other section before we take our break. So Um, what do I get to next? uh, Let's try to find a quick one here. Okay. Well, I'll I'll jump to the the other cat one then because that one's pretty short. Um, So what is the – oh, I just blew the – okay. The big question is what is the most common pet? (laughs) Cat. Yeah, cats. See, Um, no, but yes. Okay. I have this – I have this – I don't know why we're getting into this, but we're doing it. Everyone needs to stop having cats for pets because I can't visit you and it makes me sad. And I want to visit all of you out there and I can't with all your cats. I didn't know that. I can't. Yeah. No, I have a cat sensitivity, man. I'll make my eyes explode. I'm actually allergic to cats too. Funnily enough for being a cat. Wow. (laughs) I'm allergic to myself. Did you not know I was allergic to cats? No. I didn't. No. This whole entire time I never knew. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also, 
I like dogs. I mean, I had a dog. Rue, you want a dog, don't you? Eventually. How would a dog drink? Uh, okay, so uh, the uh, before I get to that, I'll, I'll I'll throw the quiz to you again here. What percentage of furries has pets or have pets? Sixty. Mm, I'm going to go lower. I'm going to actually say forty. Uh, very very close. Forty eight point eight percent. Nice. So, so just under fifty percent of furries owns a pet. So cats are the most popular. Twenty eight point seven percent of furries worldwide own a cat. Twenty four point three percent own a dog. The, this is, How many this have is, both? Uh, that's a mix. Uh, I don't know. I, I have it calculated somewhere, but it's not on my, my quick fact page. So I don't uh, have that on gotcha. top of my head. But yeah. What were you asking, Rue? Oh, I forgot. It was it was something, but I forgot. <laughs> uh, so after cats and dogs, it falls off very sharply. The next biggest category is birds at 3.8%. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is a uh, rodents at 2.7%. Meese. Yeah. Uh, fish at 2.7%, tied with rodents. And then snakes at 2.4%. Yeah, snakes. I can't, I can't do snakes. The fact that they're not warm-blooded just weirds me out. I feel like I'm holding dead things. Well, hey, we're, this is a perfect segue to take a break. <laughs> okay, so we'll go do some space news, and then we will be back. Hello, 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 and welcome to Season 9. It's been a while since the end of Season 8, and I'll not waste any more of your time, so let's just jump into this. Hailing frequencies open, Smokescale Aquatus here with another round of news for you. As of Friday, October 16th, here are your space headlines. Astronaut Christopher Ferguson has stepped down from the role of commander for the first crewed flight of the Boeing CST-100 Starliner, which is scheduled sometime in 2021. Boeing still has to complete a successful uncrewed test flight of the ship after their first flight suffered significant issues, many of which a review has found would have been caught and corrected during testing. Boeing had actually requested additional funds for additional testing, which they received, so that leads one to ask why didn't they catch these faults. Regardless, Ferguson has said that his reason for stepping down is to spend more time with his family. There's a wedding coming up that he intends to be a part of, so I can certainly understand that and there's nothing stopping him from commanding a mission later, he just won't be on the first crewed flight of Starliner. Juno is back in the news, this time because the flight controllers are saying they're going to have the craft perform a close flyby of Jupiter's moons. Looks like Juno's going to get to do some exploration not unlike how Cassini did for the Saturnian system. The primary science mission ends in July 2021, and the managers have proposed an operational extension to September 2025. I, for one, think this is fantastic. I cannot wait to see what else Juno finds, and what JunoCam snaps photos of. Blue Origin has completed the seventh successful launch and landing of their new Shepard rocket and capsule. This puts them that much closer to flying passengers, but the capsule wasn't empty. They had several science packages on board, and they even demonstrated some new tech and a new place to put experiments. The four fins that slide out when the booster is descending to keep it stable have enough room around their housing to stow some additional equipment, like a LiDAR system for scanning the ground. This means Blue Origin gets to test hardware that will be put on their lunar lander in the future. And the region at the top of the booster, just under the capsule, is an excellent place to put additional zero-g experiments. They're going to squeeze everything they can from this relatively small rocket, and that's an exciting prospect. Roscosmos has said they will likely not join the NASA-led lunar program, the Lunar Gateway. They've said it's too US-centric, which, yeah, I can understand that, but without Russia participating, it'll be even more US-centric. 
Honestly, I kind of have mixed feelings about the Lunar Gateway. I think it's a neat idea, but some of the proposals don't seem too encouraging, and it relies awfully heavily on SLS continuing to be used, which hasn't even flown yet. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. India's ISRO agency is looking to get back into the swing of things. They announced a return to flight scheduled for next month after prolonged delays due to the pandemic. Seriously, this whole virus situation really sucks. It's thrown a giant monkey wrench into everything. Good to see ISRO returning to flight, though. A Soyuz crew docked with the ISS recently, taking only three hours to get from ground to station. That's faster than it used to take me to drive to see my parents one state over. In the past, such Soyuz missions took two days, though they had started engaging in a four-hour fast approach method. It's one of the last few missions that will be available to NASA astronauts, what with Crew Dragon and Starliner coming online. In fact, NASA has recently purchased their last Soyuz seat. Bepi Colombo, God, that's fun to say just made a relatively close flyby of Venus this past Wednesday, performing a gravity assist to slingshot it closer to Mercury. While in the neighborhood, controllers pointed instruments at Venus to do some science. Everyone's super interested about our neighbor since it was discovered that there's a possible chance for a suggestion of a notion that there might be life floating around in Venus's atmosphere. This is just the first flyby of BepiColombo at Venus. The next will be in August of next year, and for the record, in order to enter orbit around Mercury, the craft will need to do a total of nine gravity assists. Two down, seven to go. That's all for this round. Stay tuned for the next episode of For What It's Worth for more. Until next time, this is Smokescale Aquatus saying keep looking up, space fans. Continuing on with the music, we have to do the thing that we always do every show. Uh, just put the screamo on. No, the screamo, wor screamo think, worship music. No, we're doing this. We want to thank everyone who supports us on Patreon. You are our patronuses. When Rue's in bed and he screams expecto patronum at the climax, you come <laughs> So what? we want to thank our, our, our patronuses, starting with Simone. Moss, Ligris, Kit, GW, Chapagriff, Bubble Whip, Aussie Cat, Koru, Hachi, Guardian Lion, Baldrick, Rifka, Adelor, Nuka, which is weird. Wow, what a douche. <laughs> Jake Fox, and Ichi. 
We want to thank each one of you guys for being with us on this journey. We don't know where we're going. We're glad that you're still in the trunk and we'll bury you as soon as we can. You're welcome. If you want, <laughs> if you want to donate, go to patreon.com slash FWIW and let us know how much you love us in dollars and cents. I did. I think that <laughs> yeah. some people are going to unsubscribe from our patron after that. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I had so vivid images during that. Okay. Anyways, I think it is that time. It is that moment. <gasps> we mix things up for season nine. What? We don't change anything. I don't like things that are different. Will he reuse another one? Is he ready? Is he going to bed with pastries again? It's Ruse Cookie Time, not sponsored by Betty Crocker. All right, let's hear it. All right, here we go. Do not rush through life. Pause and enjoy it in bed with a cookie. Very simple. Pause Do not in rush. Bed with a Does cookie? it? Pause. <laughs> yeah, well, beans. The bean market is doing well. Okay, so I let's like go back. I like Moz. Anyways, Moz, Ma, you like Moss? Moss, like, yeah, Moss and Paws. Hey, yeah, Moss. and action and Rue at the end will scream. It's pinned to my scrotum. Anyway, oh my uh, goodness, Harry, <laughs> uh, uh, all that I can We've say is hairy testicles. <laughs> oh, Hermione. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the show going? We don't know. I think we have to continue with this data, though. Let's talk about what got people into the fandom, Nuka. So let's go from being super filthy to super serious again. What Tell a fantastic us. segue there, Seth. <laughs> just, just effortless, flawless, beautifully transitioning. I, will, I just want you to know I've got the Inception button ready, <laughs> so it could come back at any time. Oh, good. <laughs> yep. All right. So, uh, yeah, we have uh, a section. We've asked this before, and uh, we, we decided to ask it again because we had this more international sample here. Um, what is the, the thing that got you into the fandom? And specifically, because in the past, we've asked it in a very broad way. When you ask in a really open way, people say, like, movies or, like, the internet. And so we said, no, 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 no. What is the single piece of media, the single one thing that, that you attribute more than anything else? The, to get they call it the, the something fandom? event? The something event. What do they call that? The event horizon. The, the instigating event or whatever it is. Yeah. Oh, like event horizon. Beyond this point, you're just sucked in this never-ending escape mm -hmm. uh, black hole that you can't escape from. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so among all the different uh, things that were listed, Disney was the single most mentioned category. Uh, so we're going with uh, the question to, to you is which Disney film is most responsible for furries? Zootopia. I'm going to say Robin Hood. I knew you would. You got second and third place. Did not get number one. Mm. Is Bolt number one? Did I win? Yeah. Bolt was on there, but Bolt was not, uh, not uh, number one. Uh, I don't care anymore. So Fox, what is it? Fox and the Hound, you think? No, no. You're, missing, you're dancing around an obvious one. Um, Sword in the Stone. Think, um, think, think 1990s. So not Sword in the Stone. I think it had a really shitty remake recently. Oh, 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 it's The Lion Aladdin? King. It's The Lion, Lion King. King. Why didn't we think about The Lion King? Yeah. 
It was incredibly close between uh, Robin Hood and the Lion King, but the Lion King just barely edged it out. So it was Lion King followed by Robin Hood, followed by Zootopia. And uh, largely, that's uh, actually generational. So you, uh, depending on which generation of furries we're looking at, younger furries got in on Zootopia. Uh, some of the older, older furries got in on Robin Hood. And then right in that sweet spot in the middle right now, which is kind of the bulk of the fandom, is uh, they were inspired in the 1990s by The Lion King. Huh. I wonder how much overlap there is with, this, with just generic Lion King fandom. I know you don't know that. Yeah, I don't uh, know. But like, like, you know, like there's a whole Lion King community completely separate from furry. Yeah, and so I'm just I'm just like, huh. I wonder what that's like. I wonder what the Lion King community th- thought about the remake. Probably more than furry community, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Yeah, they had a lot to think about. Yeah. Uh, keeping it rolling here. What is the uh, what is the non Disney show that is responsible for the most furries? So non Disney animated show responsible for the most furries. I'm gonna say. The land before time. I don't know. <laughs> Golden Girls. No. Um, Animaniacs. Nope. What too <laughs> no old? Rose. You're, you're you're gonna kick yourself when you hear it. It's gonna be really obvious in retrospect. Animal Olympics. Nope. Blues Clues. Nope. Ready? Terrible. Yeah. Pokemon. Oh. Yeah. What? Pokemon followed by Digimon followed by My Little Pony. Remember, remember all those years ago when people were shitting on My Little Pony and saying they're coming in and ruining the fandom? As it turns out, they were one of the biggest sources of uh, furries. Fresh blood. Oh, so you just admitted it. Brownies are furries. No, I'm just kidding, Nuka. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't get, as a person who finds both fandoms, do not, do not pin me to that. I'm just um, joking with you. All right. What, what video game is most responsible for furries? Fatal Fury. Ooh, that's a good one, but I'm going to say, I don't know. I don't know. Sonic the Hedgehog. Ah, Sonic. Uh, You know what? We should just said Pokemon again. Oh, yeah. Sonic the Hedgehog followed closely by Star Fox. Why didn't you count video game as Pokemon? I guess I guess you could have said Pokemon as a video game. It's hard. We never they never separated Pokemon the show versus Pokemon the video game. So. I, I lumped it in with the cartoon, but you're right. It could have been Pokemon as well. Um, okay. And then I guess we'll just go with books really quickly. What books? Redwall. I, I don't I don't know. Uh, Redwall, yeah. Redwall and Animorphs. Oh, yay. Animorphs. Yeah. Was oh, Animorphs I... number one or was... No, Animorphs was below Redwall. Was Redwall number one? It was tied for number one with one that I hadn't heard of before. Maybe you guys have heard of it. Uh, Warrior Cats. I have Warrior heard cats? of it. No. Warrior cats. Warrior, not boyer. <laughs> Warrior. Warrior cats. Yeah, Klingon Warrior. cats. Okay. <laughs> so that might be a regional thing. That might be uh, a book that's in in another part of the country from or another country from where where we are. But, and then um, we asked furries, uh, "What was the? What about anthropomorphic animal characters? What is it that you like about these furry characters? What what draws you to them?" And uh, the five top five reasons we got were the characters themselves are just appealing. So they're just something about them that's likable. Uh, they're very creative. The creativity is what drives people. Uh, just loving animals in general. The cuteness of the characters and the aesthetic appeal. So that's what, uh, that's what, what drives. When I say why, why furry animals, that's the reasons furries give. Huh. So, yeah. Interesting. That's, that's our section on what's... Uh, 
what hooks a furry, what makes a furry a furry. What's it to keep your kids from if you want to avoid them becoming furries? <laughs> keep them away so from be- the Disney. Before, don't let your kid grow up to be furry. It's dangerous. Don't um, take him to uh, Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, before before we get into the spending section, I don't know if I ever shared this with, with the audience or not, but we did um, invite K.A. Applegate to come on, and she did respond and say that she would love to, but she's too busy. So if I didn't tell anybody, now I did. We almost had the creator of the animal. Oh, my oh. goodness. If you had her on, I would just die. Because I would need to be on to that be- episode just to... Just to listen. To be honest with you, there's two book series that really helped me to get into to reading. And, and look, I, I get it. I get it. Whenever I read people's letters, I know that I mess up. But you have to understand, I've came from a very, very far, very far away when it came to my literacy. I had to work extremely, extremely hard to get to the point that I currently am. And I have to say that because of the Animorph series, that's what got me into reading. So I if, love the books. Yeah. So if you ever got her on, oh my gosh, I'd be like drooling all over the place. So good thing that it would be on the internet. <laughs> we'd only hear we'd, you drooling onto the microphone. Yeah. Yeah. Then we'd have to buy a new microphone and spend money. And, you know, speaking of spending, let's talk about spending. Yes. That, that, was, a, that was a much better segue. I, I'm working on them. I'm working yeah. on them. You'll, you'll get there. <laughs> Just tell us the damn thing. (laughs) (laughs) So in the past, we've asked about spending and people have like, every time we ask questions about spending, people have a million questions. Oh, why didn't you ask this? Why didn't you ask this? So we tried our best to like be as, get as much as possible about this. Uh, So we had a couple of things here. The first one is one of my favorite ones. Uh, What percentage of furries regrets their spending decisions with respect to the furry fandom? Uh, So go ahead. What percentage of furries do you think uh, say they frequently uh, regret decisions they've made when it comes to spending money. I'm going to say 45%. I'm going to say 65%. It's actually very few, as it turns out. It's only about 5% have frequent regrets. Uh, about 75% of furries say they have never had a regrets or have had like one regret ever. Hmm. So furries spend a lot on their ha- their hobby, but they don't really seem to regret it. Um, we find that about 80% of furries have commissioned something over the course of their lifetime. Uh, the, the sort of median number is between one and five times. Uh, but we do find that uh, a significant portion of the furry fandom, about uh, 50% of furries, have commissioned six or more things over the course of their life. And uh, God help us, 70 or 7.5% of furries have commissioned more than 50 times. Those are your super spenders. Hey! I've what? been in the fandom for 16 years. I get a little bit of, I, come on, you build up. It's not like I went out and yeah. bought 50 pieces of art at once. I don't know. No, I, I know. But it's, it's a lot. Those are your lifetimers. Those are your people who, you know, maybe they find an artist they like. I, I say this because I'm guilty of this with Michelle Light. I have an entire wall just of Michelle Light's art. <laughs> so you find a few artists that you really like and you just buy dozens of pieces from them. That's just me. I've also um, seen the opposite where you have a person that wants to commission as many different artists to be able to get different styles of their persona uh, as possible. So, okay. So I have one giant table and I can't, I, I wish I could share this with you. I, I'll share it with you afterwards. You can post it somewhere if you want, uh, cause this will never get published. No one cares enough about this, but furries might, uh, we have uh, 16 different categories of spending. 
the things you spent money on. And for, for each of these, we now know the, the median, the median amount that furries have spent over the course of their lifetime. The mean, for those who don't know, the mean is if you, if you just take an average, the median is the middle amount. It's not skewed by that one jack off who spent $100,000, right? It's, it's the, the middle amounts that people have spent. Right. We have uh, the amount that people who have spent money on it have, have spent on average. So you take out all the zeros and just say, if you spent money, what's the average? Uh, and then we also have the largest purchase, the average largest purchase in each category, plus the number of pe- the percentage of people who have spent in this category. So here's the categories, uh, digital arts commissions, traditional art commissions, badges, fursuits, written work, non-commissioned physical artwork, physical prints, uh, tails, paws, and wings, and other accessories, furry-related clothing, buttons and stickers, collars, sex toys, harnesses, leashes, and masks, furry conventions, uh, furry events that are not conventions, and then other. So we have data on all of those, and this is international data. We took all of this, all of the the money they said. We we had them say whatever their spending was in their local currencies, and then I painstakingly had to go through and convert everything to U.S. dollars, which was more more hassle than you might think. Uh, did you do yes. that, like conversion on that day, or did you do conversion to the day that you did the analysis? The day I did the analysis, so it's not perfect, but we're also asking people to estimate over the course of their lifetime, so gotcha. it's not going to be. Okay. Perfect. Anyways, a few being off by a, by a factor of like 0.1% isn't going to be the end of the world. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So I highlighted a couple of interesting categories here, uh, that you might be interested in. Yes. So in terms of digital art commissions, uh, among people who have spent money, it's people who have spent, which is about 66% of furries. Uh, the average furry who has spent money on digital art has spent $1,001 over the course of their lifetime on digital commissions about a grand yep that is twice as much as the uh the amount that the average furry has spent on traditional art so physical pen and paper paint art which is about 458 dollars oh we find uh among those who have spent money on badges so 42 percent of furries have bought a badge before and among those people the average amount they have spent on badges over the course of their life is 236 dollars on badges Wow. Uh, with with the, the most expensive single badge on average being about $50 US. <laughs> Everyone who knows what I'm thinking right now is going, that's twice as much. Cool. <laughs> the world's uh, biggest f- joke just happened. <laughs> uh, fursuits. Here we go, fursuits. So of the uh, 31.1% who have bought a fursuit... Uh, we find that uh, the average amount they've spent over the course of their life on fursuits is $2,707. That's what I was going to say is was around 2000 Yeah, 2700 That's the, closer to 3000 Yeah, I know. That's a lot. Yep. Now, that, that's over the course of their life. That's not on a single suit. So, in other words, most fursuiters that are really into it, like a, a fursuit, your first fursuit can only last you a certain period of time. So more than likely, people that really get into it will end up having a point to a 2.0 at some point in time. Yeah, it looks like the average first suitor has more than one suit from the looks of this. Uh, and then when they we asked... 1.3. Something like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when we asked what the, the average single lar- most that they spent on a suit is, 
it's $1,867. So that is sort of, for, if, if you have more than one suit, the most expensive suit you have, or if you have one suit, just that suit, on average, $1,867 US. These are all in US dollars. And it just keeps going up higher. <laughs> yep. Couple the of, other, uh, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying the other day I saw a partial for that amount. And I was yep. like, that's how much I paid for a full suit. <laughs> like yeah, it did. It's going up. As the demand goes up and as the, the skill, you know, as you have these people who have built, you know, dozens of fursuits, they they have they're experts in their field and they can charge an expert's rate for it. Oh yeah. And by no means am I saying that my comment my comment is to say that yeah. they don't you know, that they don't deserve that amount by no means. Yeah. It's a lot of work. It's a piece of art. Absolutely. A customized piece of art. In fact, in some ways, like if you look at like custom clothing design, like it's it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. So anyways. Uh, for commissioned written work, I know that I have some writer friends who want to data on this. So eight point six percent of furries have commissioned a written story. Uh let's see here. In terms Do you break of, it out if those are erotic or not? Uh no, just just stories. I didn't think to okay. split it up that way. Uh, let's see here. Uh, all right, let's just get, let's just get to the, oh, no, uh, furry related clothing. 51% of furries has some kind of furry related clothing in their, in their closet somewhere. That's all so. I've got. <laughs> uh, cool. Okay. Let's get to the one that everyone's thinking about. No, we'll save that for last. We've got one more here. Uh, furry conventions. The average furry has, uh, spent $2,823 on conventions. That's including the ones who've never spent. The average furry who has gone to a convention has, over the course of their lifetime, spent $3,624 on conventions. Wow. That sounds about right. Yep. That is a, that is a lot. <laughs> conventions are expensive. They yeah. are. Yeah, they're not cheap. When you're considering airfare and Hotels. all of that included. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's pricey. But here's, yeah. here's the one I have to say. Here's the one that we're all thinking. Ever since I mentioned it, sex toys. Here we go. Uh, so 31.3% of furries owns a sex toy. And the... Uh, Wait, what was that percentage one more time? Sorry. <laughs> to make sure you write it down. 31.3%. Uh, okay. So about one in three furries owns a sex toy. Uh, so take a guess. What is the... For those who have paid money for sex toys, what is the average amount of their collection that it's worth in US dollars? 200 so I'm going to say that it's less than the clothing and less than a fursuit, but I'm going to say that it's higher than 200. So I'm going to say 750. Almost split the difference between you. $540. Nice. On sex toys. With the, with the single most expensive single purchase averaging at $150. And all, all of us are thinking about our sex toys and how much that we've spent. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone started to do the math at home and go, hmm, oh, wait a minute, let me carry the one. <laughs> I only have like one sex toy. Rue has like eight. Uh, I have a whole clubhouse, so yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have someone write you a song for the Golden Weekend one of these days. <laughs> oh my gosh. And Ladies Night. And ladies Thank night. you, by the way, for not asking how many I have. I appreciate that. How many do you have? Six. <laughs> None that I'm willing to admit to. Okay. 
he just goes and buys donuts, dude, every morning, a dozen donuts. That's all he needs. I all mean, right, uh, you have to get the cream <laughs> filling in somehow. Wow. Okay, let's talk about COVID-19 now. Speaking of cream <laughs> filling, let's talk about COVID. Jeez. Yeah. We're great at segues. You know this by now. All right, so... <laughs> 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 all right. So I know what we're waiting for there on that one, but all right. So COVID. So this has been a really hot topic for social scientists for obvious reasons. We're all trying to understand the dynamics of this pandemic. And so there's about a million studies going on right now. One of the things I was interested in was furries and relying on the furry fandom, right? And so if you're a furry, um, the furry fandom is a predominantly online fandom. So despite the fact that the world's kind of burning down around us, do you still have the fandom for support? And so when we ask furries, what are the five domains, the five parts of your life that are the most affected by COVID? In order, those were uh, starting from the most affected. It was their social life. Yeah. The next was their involvement in non-furry activities. Mm. The third was their psychological well-being. The fourth was their long-term planning. And the fifth was their daily routine. Those were the five most impacted things from a list of like 20 different things. And so when we ask furries, where do you turn to? What is what is the thing you lean on the hardest to try to uh, get through it? And uh, this was the one that was fascinating to me. So number one, close relationships. Not a big surprise. If, you, if you're married, if you're dating someone, your partner is the person you, you lean on the most. Number two was furries. Number three was family. Furries are turning to other furries before they turn to their family for social support. Well, I mean, if 10% of them are straight and then the world is 90% anti-gay, as it feels lately, or whatever you are, you know, that makes sense. Well, but at the same time, you can't say that every parent out there doesn't support their children if they're gay. That's true. It's just a... We do have the moms. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. In fact, I would argue that most parents are probably supportive of their, their kids when they're gay, so... Um, it was just surprising to me that furries finds, and I think part of it has to do with an age thing. I think that, you know, if you're, if you're in your twenties or your early thirties, the people who are suffering, you know, through the same stuff that you are, your parents are going through a different set of problems than you are, but the people who will understand the most, the kinds of problems they're going through are the, the people who are around the same age group as you and they're, they're furries. So, uh, and then, yeah, that's rounded that list. So it was close relationships, furry friends, your family. Your non-furry friends were fourth, and then others in the furry fandom who you didn't know. So strangers in the furry fandom were number five. Strangers in the fandom. Do, 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 do. Strangers in the fandom. So that's the, uh, the it, COVID ones. Oh, sorry, go ahead. You're going to ask? Do you have, do you have data on um, like how many furries have gotten COVID? No, we didn't think to actually ask if you got it. We might just think that would have been a good question to ask, but yeah. We don't have data on that specifically. We may have to wait until sort of after everything passes to get final numbers on that. But I, I'm was... sorry that I'm bringing this up. I know that has nothing related, so I apologize here. But do you guys know of anybody that has died of COVID because during not this personally. time? Personally, I, I know a lot of celebrities and, and pol even politicians who have passed away, but not no one personally. I have two um, degrees of separation from a COVID death. Well, sorry to get all serious. Segway, let's go back to the <laughs> that was a bad segue. Um, let's let's go back to the, the statistics or the stats. Uh, yep. Yeah. So we have uh, relationships. So this was a big part of the survey because we've been asked before, hey, like, you know, 
is it, our relationships, like it's your close relationships in this case. So uh, the data for this was limited to if you consider yourself to have a close interpersonal relationship right now. So uh, if you're a single, none of these questions will apply to you right now. But if you consider yourself, whether you're polyamorous, whether you're in a monogamous relationship or an open relationship or casually dating, whatever, if you consider yourself to have a partner, you know, these questions are for you. And so one of the first questions we asked were, is the person you're with um, furry? So what percentage of furries are dating other furries? Take Before you answer that. 70%. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm going to guess it's about half and half. Uh, no, it was interesting. You just reminded me, and I'm curious, and people can write in and tell us the answer to this. Um, did Rue, did you ever like make a conscious decision to date in or outside the fandom? Because I chose to date in the fandom. I was like, I don't want to bother trying to explain this nuance about how my mind works to someone who just doesn't get it. It felt like it was compromised. Well, before I was in the furry fandom, I did date you know sure, outside but, of the fandom but once i was in the fandom it it was just so much more easier to have somebody that you know wanted to go to conventions with you and hold, I, go ahead hold that thought folks that's that you're, you're getting to the next question oh but well okay hold, hold, go ahead, hold that go thought yeah so put a pin in that uh Rue, you said 70 percent. it was your guess yep and i was um, guessing half yeah 79 percent very close. Seventy-nine percent wow. of furries are dating other furries. Uh, of those who have a partner who is a furry, seventy-six uh, percent say they they were furries and their partners were furries when they met. So most furries are dating someone who's a furry and they met them through the fandom. That number is even higher if you're gay. If you're gay and you're in the furry fandom and you're in a relationship, there's like an eight out of 10 or nine out of 10 chance that your partner was someone you met through the fandom. So it worked for me. That seems like that makes sense. Yep. Okay. So we, we asked furries who were in relationship. This is where I said, put a pin in it because uh, it's going to come back here. So we asked furries, Hey, when it comes to the furry fandom and your relationship, has it helped or hurt? Right? Has, has being a furry helped or hurt your relationship? And the first thing we found was that at about five to one ratio, people said it helps over hurt, right? So furry overwhelmingly has a positive effect on their relationship. Um, what was interesting though, is we, it was an open-ended question. So we had people just write out, you know, how has it helped? How has it hurt? And we have some common themes, the most common themes to emerge to see if these sound like the ones that you guys are, are thinking about here. So the number one way that the furry fandom helped was that's how I met my partner. Uh, the number two way was that it provides us with a shared activity, something that we can do together. Uh, the third one is that it allows my partner and I to express some part of ourselves that we otherwise wouldn't be able to express. Uh, the fourth one is, uh, the fandom provides a space that's accepting of sexual gender identity or a safe place to express facets of those, you know, sexuality or gender identity. Uh, the fandom provides social networks. So friends that my partner and I can have. Uh, the fandom has allowed my partner and I to uh, become better people. And the fandom has allowed us to uh, explore and discover things about ourselves through role play. So any of those sounding about right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Pretty much all of it. And then uh, and if you're wondering, well, okay, well, how does the fandom hurt? So again, these were, these were far rarer than, than benefits, but uh, these were the most common ways that the fandom hurts. Actually, I'll post it to you. What, what, what do you think is the most common way the fandom might hurt a romantic relationship. Let's I'm, I'm going 
hurt a romantic relationship or just hurt relationship? Hurt a romantic relationship specifically. I'm just going to guess someone said that they were living in sin. Um, I'm going to say that, I don't know, furries tend to be a little bit more open sexually sometimes. And so maybe maybe it's related to, to that. You guys nailed items on the list. If you're going family feud style, you got number two and number four on the list. So the number one Mm. reason, uh, the fandom contributes to jealousy, which is one that that surprised me. Uh, Jealousy towards others in the fandom, or if your partner's not furry, getting jealous over the amount of time you're spending in the fandom. Uh, uh, That is such a not furry problem. That is just such a human condition problem anyway. But even among furries, they they would often say that uh, my partner's jealous of someone in the fandom. So we're both furries, but someone else in the fandom is making me jealous. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. Um, so the number two was stigmatizing beliefs. So, uh, you know, this is the, oh, fur fags or, oh, you're a bunch of deviants or, or whatnot. Yeah. Uh, the third, number three was, uh, some kind of local drama or local conflict in the local group has stirred up problems. Uh, part of the stemming from things like the, how insular the fandom is and how like, you know, it's, it's like small local clusters. So if someone's an asshole in a cluster, or if you dated someone in that local group and then you broke up, that that person's always kind of there. So the, the insular nature kind of makes it hard to get away from drama sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and number four um, was the, the idea of uh, what Ru had brought up. Uh, the idea of, uh, oh God, what was the point you brought up, Ru? I'm trying to remember now. Uh, uh, basically, is- furries are a little bit more open sexually. Right, and- yeah. Yeah, so the idea that uh, the the openness and being almost too open to exploring and trying new things can make some partners sort of uncomfortable or weird. Gotcha. Yeah. So the most, uh, and so that's kind of the, the stuff I had on relationships. I don't know if you had any thought about that before we go on to the last topic. But. I mean, I I am not surprised at all by that list, honestly. I mean, I think that we can all... D- say that we've seen everything off of that list and some of us have lived those things off of that list i I, this is what i want to say in response to that you're never going to be happy unless you live as the authentic you that is all i want help with that yeah mm -hmm, i want to add that there's no reason to be jealous of other people and and maybe of their success that they have if if you see something that that you want and that you want to strive for then go for it what's holding you back from from doing those particular things and 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 i get that it's easier said than done i mean maybe you're jealous of a furry youtuber or a, a twitch streamer or different things like that and you don't have the money to you know get all the setup and stuff like that but every single person starts at a different point so if you're jealous of an artist and their skills well guess what get drawing like build upon that skill do something to be able to get to that particular point. And you know what? No matter what you do, you'll always be able to look up and there's going to be someone above you that's going to be going to be better. But you know what? Then that's the new bar of what you can strive for and just continue to, to work on building yourself up and building your skill. Sorry, and all of that, all I heard was, if you see something you want, go get it. And I was thinking, well, I guess Ruse condoning stealing. That's what I'm hearing. No, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> This, ah. has been, this has been Rue's soapbox. There you go. Thank you for my soapbox moment. Now let's segue back to the statistics. Yay. <laughs> All right. I like that soapbox. I want to steal it now. 
and I should go get it. Uh, Swipe or no swiping. I just want to point out that no one buys soap in a box anymore, unless it's detergent, and that's not what this is referring to. Just saying. <laughs> anyway. All right. So the the last topic here, I, I I was interested in this one. So for the last few years, we've dealt with the topic of ageism in the fandom. So treating people differently on the basis of their age. In the past, we found that furries tend to hang out with people their own age. As a general rule, if you're like in the 18 to 25 range, you tend to be most comfortable hanging out with furries who are 18 to 25. If you're 35 to 45, you tend to be more comfortable hanging out with the older furries than with the younger furries. And part of that's um, cohort effect, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Part of it's cohort effect. So the fact that you, you're you at different stages in your life, you grew up with, with different shows, you have less in common with younger furries. And we're going to see that reflected here because when we asked furries, we said, regardless of your age, right? So we just want to know, do you ever feel out of touch with a certain age group in this fandom? If so, which age group, people older or younger than you, and, and how do you feel out of touch with them? What we essentially wound up with is a list of grievances and complaints against <laughs> younger furries and grievances and complaints against older furries. Is pooling so, in there? I can neither confirm nor deny this. Oh, good, good. I like that answer. All right, continue, so we're, please. So we're going to say, we're going to start with, with shitting on younger furries. So uh, Yay! I, I want you two to guess which what are the most common complaints the old timers in the fandom have about the youngins in the fandom. Let loose. Uh, what do you think? Try to guess. I would guess, I would guess it'd be about mainstreaming and like stop making everything mainstream and probably a little bit of like get your head out of your ass and let people just enjoy themselves in a sex positive space. That's what I would guess. I would say something along the lines that they are just a little bit out of control or like too loud in some ways. Okay. So let's see here. So the number one complaint, the number one thing that older furries just don't get about younger furries, technology. I don't understand the TikTok. I don't get the furry amino. I don't understand the Twitter thing. That's the number mm. one big really? disconnect that older furries feel towards younger furries. Interesting. Yep. By, a, by a healthy margin, I might add. Um, the next biggest category, um, this is a pretty big one as well. Uh, the perception that younger furries are hypercritical, they're overly political, they're overly concerned with political correctness, and uh, they push for cancel culture. That's the, the second biggest complaint oh, that furries have. Uh, yeah, sort of, but like... <laughs> so, to I point out, I, I'm not saying I agree with any of these, I'm saying this is what furries have oh, stated. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're going to pass judgment silently or loudly. We're just on a microphone, so it's loudly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway... So. Y'all are allowed to comment on. It. I'm just saying that's the that's the that's the fact. You all can chew on that and think about it and express frustration or or interest in it. But yeah, so the, the youngins are politically correct and they're all about the cancel culture. Why can't they just loosen up? Okay. Uh, the the third biggest point of contention. Uh, I don't understand these stupid memes. I don't get these trends. I don't understand the jargon and the slang and the yeets and the. Yeah, I don't understand any of these things. I can't keep up with it. Uh, number four is younger furries are just too immature or they're too short-sighted. They have no sense of perspective. Uh, number five for uh, younger furries are difficult to interact with. They, they don't understand something. They don't get something They're They're too hard to interact with. Number six is they want the fandom to be different from the way I want the fandom to be. And, uh, number seven is they're overly permissive or they care too much about kink or LGBTQ issues. 
Wow, that's interesting. What? So that, those are the, the most common complaints of older furries toward younger furries. Define older furry again. This is this is just uh uh so we didn't say uh you know identify yourself as older. We said what age group do you not get and why? So these were things that furries directed towards furries younger than them. This could be a 20-year-old complaining about a 16-year-old. This could be a 60-year-old complaining about a 40-year-old. Just directed uh, towards a furry younger than you. This Okay. Okay. I, I, I can hear some, some uh, I don't know if this is the right word, but I'm using it. I can hear some boomerisms in there. But anyway. All right. So flipping, the, looking back upwards, uh, there were actually far, far fewer directed upwards. So most of, the, most of this is... is uh, is directed downward, but the, the little bit that's directed upward, uh, what is the number one complaint about older furries in the fandom? Something related to the magic in the fandom. The magic Exclusion. The Exclusionary. Like poodling and stuff. Well, not yeah. poodling, but... Oh, sorry, I missed... Uh, so in the previous category, uh, another category down, it was a, little, a lot lower, but uh, being superficial in the way you fursuit. So poodling... Uh, not taking it seriously, treating it just like costuming and not like getting into the character. That was uh, another common complaint as well towards younger furries. So, gotcha. I agree with that one. Um, so, directed towards older furries. Uh, so, you, uh, what, were your, what were your arguments? Uh, uh, Rue, you said it was. Um... I was just basically saying that the, it's just the opposite way where younger furries are looking up at older furries that, that they're like, they're so stuck in their. Their, their their frame of mind that they don't think outside the box, basically. And Tugsy said it was that they were too exclusionary? Yeah. Yeah. So number one, uh, they are too intimidating or condescending toward younger furries. So they're, they're mean or bullies to younger furries. Uh, number two, is they're too cliquish, insular, they ostracize and exclude. So that's the number two reason. Uh, number three, the older furries are too openly sexual. Or they're too... <laughs> Or they're too accepting of certain kinks or subgroups that really shouldn't be in this fandom. Ooh, interesting. Uh, the most commonly one stated among those was uh, zoophilia. And the fourth one was uh, older furries are bigoted towards minorities in the fandom, LGBTQ or racial minorities or kink groups. So... So yeah. we're too sexual, but we're not sexually accepting of the right things. Is is, is... yeah. So there's a, there's a bit of a, a mixed bag there. So again, I'm not passing judgment on any of those. That's the those are the those are what we found. You can you can chew on them, discuss them as you see fit. What are your what are your thoughts? I I, I feel I'm gonna get on my soapbox <laughs> and uh, wag my cane. Now I talk to people from all kinds of age groups and the truth of it is is no i don't really talk to a lot of 18 19 i mean i do but like the majority of my social contact is not it's from people in my in my cohort effect circle mm-hmm. um but to like uh, here's the here's the truth like if you ever wondered why why you get kind of excluded sometimes because we've already done all the shit you're doing right now. We lived through our late teens. We lived through our 20s. And we know the things that matter at that point in your life don't matter later. And we're tired. We're in a pandemic. And we don't particularly want to deal with the same shit again. So get your shit together. <laughs> There's some ugly truth with Tugs. Tugs, you're too political. <laughs> 
Just no, that's, that's the younger furries. That's the younger furries who are too political. Right now. Oh, like, like, yeah. Like, and I'm older than you. <laughs> and see, and here's the thing. Yeah, even though you're my kid at the casino. If you approach someone who's older than you and say, hey, I could use some advice, you'll have a completely different conversation. But if you just show up acting entitled, like, bitch, 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 wine, 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 tick tock, tick tock. No, no one's. That's stupid. You're just You're just throwing shit everywhere. You know, that's really what it comes down to. So, yes, I don't mind giving advice out to people who are younger. I don't particularly feel motivated to do that when you just show up and shit all over the room and leave. Uh, we've had this episode before, but I guess my biggest gripe is, like, don't stand up on a table and start screaming your heart out. Like, like or or go to a convention and have your boom box of music that's louder than the conversation that, that, that I'm trying right. to have next to me. And I paid just as much as you to be able to come to this convention. Okay. That that's where I need to like be, somebody needs to say, okay, boomer, even though I'm not a boomer, but, but, but I want away, to, be able to interact. turn down your Pac-Man video games. <laughs> well, it's just common courtesy. Like everybody's there to enjoy themselves. We don't want to listen to your shitty music. There you go. <laughs> I don't understand these memes. Memes. That it's just just give a shit about other people and think about shit. You are not the center of the universe, is what it comes down to. Okay, let's let's all take a moment for Zen. <sighs> yeah, I know. We Lady's got we, we became boomers Lady's for a night. minute there. Lady's I love Lady's I love this data because it gets people to, on both ends too. It's very fun to to talk to younger furries and see them get very indignant towards older furries. And it's very fun to watch older furries get indignant towards younger furries. I, I was it, surprised by your last point. What was the very last one that you said with the younger furs? With the younger furs? Yeah. So so younger furs against older furs or older furs against younger furs? Um, younger furs against older furs. Uh, being bigoted towards certain minorities in the fandom, kings, LGBTQ plus or racial groups. And that surprises me. Yeah, that really does surprise me. Even in you're in Utah too, Rue. Like, I feel like there needs to be some more discussion around that later. It might be but an yeah. interesting, uh, an interesting topic for an episode sometime. Yeah, definitely. Let's that. segue to the next statistic. Woo! That's it. That's all segue. of them. That's that's all. That's all. I mean, I, I've got 117 more pages, but those are the ones I prepared for the for the show. Darn it! I wanted more. Give me okay. more. <laughs> How can you have any yeah. pudding if you don't eat your meat? Okay, well, actually, let's do this. So if you enjoyed these statistics and you have more questions, uh, hit us up in Telegram chat. You, Nuke is in there, and he'll answer questions. Or send us an email and let us know what you thought, and we'll read it on the air. Uh, these are always interesting thoughts, and I'm particularly interested in what people have to say about younger slash older furries fight, you know. So, yeah, I'm curious. Send us your thoughts. And if we get enough thoughts, we might have to do a whole episode or we'll just do them in the mailbag. We'll see. We are still looking for suggestions on what you want to hear for season nine. So please make sure that you send those to us as well. So I think that it's house creeping time, isn't it? It is, is that house, it? it is house creeping. Let's do the button. Have you commented on the site yet? It's time to be reminded in housekeeping. 
good old housekeeping. I just want to say once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of For What It's Worth. We're so grateful to be able to have you guys listen in to us. We love hearing from you. So definitely shoot us an email. We've already talked a little bit about that. But if you're interested in joining our Telegram group, shoot us a message over at at for what um sorry at wine red fox and i'll go ahead and get you added to the telegram group there you go that's it there's no more no <laughs> no um thanks to our support cast um for fire breath and for voss who do the behind the scenes things and keep us generally afloat because otherwise we wouldn't even be able to do the show at this point there's just too much going on um, all of our marketing is done through word of mouth. So please feel free to to share this particular episode. If you liked it, you want to share the statistics with your friends, send them the link to this episode. If you want to join for what it's worth plus, it's $4 a month. You can get direct <laughs> access to what? Rue. <laughs> <What's this? laughs> or buy one of our premium loot boxes. Yeah, premium loot boxes. Buy your merch now. (laughs) Like and subscribe. Smash Uh, that like button. (laughs) Ring a ding ding. Touch the bell. Let us know what Uh, you think in the comments. People are listening. Why the hell is wrong with tugs? I've been working 16 hours today. Like I'm done. So this is what this is what you get. This is why you all spend your Patronus dollars on us. Um, But it's good quality stuff, right? Uh, do we have oh what's next episode Rue, is halloween next halloween is next um if you haven't gotten your halloween stories in to us more than likely it's probably too late so um yeah get it into us like immediately like if you listen to this episode like jump jump down on your computer no not jump on top but get Stop onto your listening email now and write yes thank you nuka thank you <laughs> So what are we looking for as far as Halloween stories? We're looking for scary stories, some sort of like short stories that we can we can read on the air. We like to add ambiance music into the background. So it's kind of like a, it's uh, just a, for what it's worth, spooky radio spectacular. So if you want your story to be read on the show, send it today. And five paragraphs or less is what we are asking for. Make them short, sweet, to the point. Use Occam's Razor. Occam's Razor is available anywhere. <laughs> also a great title for a horror story. There you go. Rue and Occam's Razor. The sponsor for today is Bad Dragon. <laughs> Use them today. Today's sponsor is Pants. <laughs> Ship them today. I just shipped my bed. <laughs> I love that. I love that guy because you could tell how happy he was to do that line. Like I've never seen anyone so happy to be in a commercial. I just that... shipped my drawers. Now the guy, my bed. He was so. <laughs> and what's great? I know we're not we're completely off topic, but like, I love that he did that in the first one. You could see how excited and happy he was, and then the second one because he got to do a second one. You could tell it was like he won the lottery twice. Like he's just so <laughs> my bed. It's just so good. Uh, and then those episodes, and then those commercials were canceled and not allowed to be used because, but her Karens got got involved and shut them down. Speaking of Karens, I think we should wrap it up. They're coming for us. 
Oh, I heard them knocking on my door the other day. So, yes, we should definitely um, wrap up. So, so yeah. Nuka, do you have anything you want to plug before we go? Um, if you want to see this data, pretty soon we're going to be uh, we're doing the update right now to the website. If you go to firstscience.com, you can see all of these research findings. That's where you'll find all of our information uh, on where to participate in future studies. There'll be another one probably in a few months here. You can follow us on social media at First Science on Twitter. We have a YouTube, uh, First Science, however, First Science on YouTube. Uh, we have all the social media things, none of which I use because social media is for silly people. <laughs> all right, well, this has been Rue. This is Tugs. And you've been. Oh, what? He's Idaho. <laughs> He's Idaho, and, and you've been listening to Nuka, and this has been for what it's oh, worth. What happened there? What happened there? I'm Idaho. <laughs> oh.